Good evening, Chris. This is our first remote podcast session. Evening, Joe. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. And I'm glad that we got this up and running because it means that we can, uh, you know, do this and save ourselves the commute and obviously time, which is very precious. So we'll see yeah, how we I go. Think, I think it's good having the option to um, record anywhere. It's an excellent addition to the uh, to the project. So a bit of background the... for um uh, for those uh, for those listening. So Chris uh, and I were running this podcast out of my uh, out of my place um, on two uh, analog uh, microphones with this you know pretty pretty basic but effective setup that we've got up and running here. Um, but having Chris come over and you know during the week it gets more more difficult to. Uh, you know, do this on a consistent and regular basis because, you know, pe- people, you know, we've all got things to do. We're all busy. Um, so what we're now trying out is a um, USB road microphone. So we, we're using the same manufacturer um, to sort of keep things as consistent as possible in terms of sound quality. And Chris, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that piece of kit and how you've got this set up at, at, at home. <coughs> Yeah, uh, so so this is the uh, Rode USB NT or NT USB microphone, which has super interesting for everybody listening. It's got a its own headphone jack, which I'm not using because I'm listening to FaceTime to hear what Joe's saying, and it's got an input monitoring level and a microphone thing on the side of it. So it's quite quite good. It just plugs in USB to the computer and works pretty much straight away which is what we need something basic something good quality so we'll see how we go <laughs> and the cool thing is because we're facetiming we can still see each other yes so it's not like just a phone call or anything like that exactly exactly yeah cool man so what's it's been happening this past week uh this past week well um i, I went into work today and left around lunchtime just still feeling sick as um as I have been since I got back from the Northern Territory, just um, haven't been able to fully recover. I've booked in a doctor's appointment now just to see what's going on. I just got these headaches and sore throat. I'm just not, not trying, not doing, not doing well enough. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, hoping I'll just wake up tomorrow and feel 100%. But I've been hoping that for a week or two now. So, it's either a bad virus or a throat infection. I don't know. Other than that. Not a lot else, just listening to podcasts and sleeping has been the biggest thing. I, yeah, downloaded, re- <laughs> yeah, a few podcasts. What have you listened to? Uh, I've been listening to a guy called Adam Buxton, who's uh, a British comedian who interviews a lot of fairly famous, fairly random people, and a guy called Richard Herring, who does a similar thing in a very different way in front of a live studio, uh, live, not studio audience, a live audience, and he films them for YouTube. He's probably, I would say, he's maybe the biggest podcast in England right now. He does Kickstarters that get about £100,000 to record a season. So he records it all and puts them up on YouTube in a fairly professional manner and gets fairly big time, like Russell Brand and Stephen Fry and guys like that on, but also gets a lot of smaller comedians he tries to give a, a bit of a lift to. And I've, unlike a lot of interview podcasts, while it does cover some serious stuff, he's always trying to be funny. And I really like his sense of humor a lot of the time. And he's quite alternative and quite provocative in his um, his outlook, even if I don't agree with everything he says. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. He's, yeah. That's Richard Herring. Richard Herring. It's called Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Okay. And um, that one's, yeah, so, and the Adam Buxton one is a, I heard about Adam Buxton when he was on the Richard Herring podcast, and I'm like, this guy's hilarious, I'll check out his podcast, and it was also really good. I might even like that one more. He's a British guy who I've, I'd seen in a few things, like the IT crowd, he'd done a bit role here and there, but he's the, I think his heritage is, he's actually, you'll find this interesting, he's half Chilean. <laughs> there you go. But, uh He's just sound. He grew up in England, so he sounds very British. I think, I don't know what what side of his family. I think it's probably his mum's side because I think from his stories, his dad's quite British, British as well. So I think okay. his mum sounds like his mum was. But uh, yeah, what have you well, been? What have you been doing this last week? 
uh, other than uh, than working, which is getting a little bit busy. Um, yeah. Which which is okay in that it makes the days go by quick, but yeah, it's just, um it's a bit taxing on the mind, and I'm I'm actually pretty tired right now. Um, riding my bike, uh, and and chilling out at home, getting things done. I got my my folks are going away to Chile on next Tuesday, so it's my dad's birthday tomorrow. It's got a few family events on coming up this weekend as well. How old's your dad turning? Ah, uh, it's a good question. So he was born in uh, nineteen forty-six. What what does that make him? Seventy-one. Yeah, seventy-two. This yeah, year is 72. it? Seventy-two. Yeah. Seventy-two. So yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So. Good shit. And he's he's, he's doing, doing well. Healthy. Yeah, he is actually. I'm happy yeah. about that. So that's um, good to hear. So they're off the chili. Um, what else I've been doing? Well. I've started to do uh, 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 some trainer, stationary trainer work. So, because the mm. weather's not getting, you know, it's getting darker early and um, it's not quite quite as fun riding out in the cold. So, uh, which means I've been watching some documentaries and stuff what I, what I, what I, while I sit on my bike. Um, what are you watching? When you get a chance, uh, now that you're connected back into Netflix, check out Wild Country. Which is about yes, the uh, yeah. Rajneesh community. I think that documentary won a Khan Award as well. It didn't really well. It's one of the reasons why I think Netflix picked it up. And I'll put it onto my um, onto my list, my watch list. Yeah, What's it called? It. Wild Country. The Wild Country. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's I'll about check the, it out. Um, the uh, Indian guru who started a, a movement, I guess, in in India, and then they moved over to America and tried to build their own commune and used uh, the laws, I guess, to, uh, you know, sort of take take over a city, basically establish their own city, and that created all sorts mm-hmm. of problems with, you know, the locals there and, you know, the federal government got involved. And, and so Indians, the story unfolds. From yeah, people so from India? From, from India, yeah. So it's kind of like Gungahlin. Yeah, or um, no, West McGregor even. Yeah, where I live. No, no, I um, it's just like Hoyts on a on a Friday night at the um, take over the take over the prospect in Sydney. No, I assume that's um, very much yeah. a, another settlement. Pretty much, pretty much. Sydney's a bit like that. though. Canberra, Canberra, not really. Everyone. Yeah, Sydney's way more like that, where people come in and you go to a suburb and everyone seems to be from another country and you're like, oh, which is obviously fine. It's just, it's funny actually here walking around in in summer especially. I, I'd never seen so many um, old Indian men with um, long beards and, and turbans on before and you see walking the dogs at, at dusk, I'll see 20. Because obviously people come over here for jobs and bring their whole family, and um, yep. they all decided they're like, "Where does Chris live?" Same and thing in Queanbeyan as well. There's there's a, I think a, a sizable um, Indian community here too. Whereas uh, you know previous to that, during the I think it was the 60s and 70s, there was Macedonians, a lot of Macedonians. Well, you know, Vic Vic's is a Queanbeyan mm. boy. He's gr- was basically born and grew up here. Still lives here. I was going to say, is he Macedonian? Yeah. No, I wasn't going to say that. I didn't know. Macedonian heritage. So. Macedonian? Is that how you pronounce it? Macedonian. Massive ma- attack. Massive, he's massive attacking. Um, yeah. And other than that, yeah. um, not not doing too much of the podcasting. A little bit of history and fire, a little bit of Joe Rogan. Though Joe Rogan yeah. hasn't been... No, the guests that he's had on haven't been too too diverse of late but um mostly comedians uh total recall arnie's book mm-hmm. so i think it's 66 hours long or something like that really maybe not that long maybe 66 chapters anyways it's a, it's a pretty Six, long book yeah but i can I'm imagine he's got a lot of stuff he's got a lot of stories to tell he's lived a pretty eventful life and he's and he tells it in you know almost chronological order so you know him growing up in austria um, you know, getting out of Austria, going to America, um, bodybuilding, you know, meeting Maria mm. Shriver and you know, political connections, his uh, 
various business ventures and you know becoming financially successful from that point of view and the has he addressed sorry go on the film stuff's really interesting just mm. interesting facts about you know some of my favorite movies that i've watched as a kid um did you know that uh the well that the the studio that was um funding predator they they, they were really stingy i think it might have been I think it might have been I think Universal might have been involved and someone else. Anyway, so they only spent half the money that they should have spent on on the special effects crew. And these guys were, you know, you get what you pay for. And um the original Predator was this really stupid costume apparently that looked like a sort of lizard looked really bad apparently. Yeah, um, I heard I've heard that part of it, but not yeah, go on. And guess who the guy wearing the costume was Van Damme, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, I have heard that, yeah. And apparently he used to complain a lot. Um, so then, yeah, they got rid of that special effects company and brought in people that were, um, I guess, more capable, which cost them more money, but they ended up with uh, obviously a, a much better... Um, a far superior product. I think it's fair to say, yeah, go on. No, just the, the suit as well. Like you couldn't actually, the guy wearing the suit was a big guy, but he couldn't actually see through the helmet. So they had to, he had to memorize. He had to sort of pace his movements and memorize the movements um, and then put the helmet on and not actually see where he was going. <laughs> it's just crazy things wow. like that. Yeah. It's, it's fair to say, I think movies from that time period can pretty much be put into two boxes. One of them is when they have a convincing looking alien or they've got a shit looking alien movies like the alien trilogy quadrilogy octrilogy whatever you want to call it or the um or predator in basically movies with good special effects you can do a remastering of them and they live up to their you know they're just as good now Hmm. whereas the ones that look a bit shit you just can't watch them they're just a joke now. Like you're like, oh yeah, that was good in its time, but you watch it now and it's just like, oh, you can, it's almost like just for interest, but you can't actually enjoy the film the same way you can. You can still watch Predator, I think, or you can still watch Terminator 2 Definitely. or you can still watch Alien because of the design, the art design and the special effects, the combination of the craft and the and the design and the, the way they did it is, um, yeah, it stands out. They stood the test of time, I guess, is the key. It talks yeah. about, um, well, pretty much all of his movies, but yeah, I think just touching on what you were saying, the guys or the directors who are sort of really anal about detail, those are the mm. movies that, are, that I think age well. So, you know, anything James Cameron. Um, the guy who did Total Recall, Paul Verhoeven, the Dutch yeah. director. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, if you sort of think back and watch Robocop, the Robocop still looks awesome today. And that guy has, a, you know, sort of real attention to detail. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, it's funny, actually. I listened to a podcast by a guy called Chris D'Elia during the week, and he does he did a little bit about James Cameron. I have to show it to you next time I see you, or I might just send you the podcast and tell you what time to listen, that it's about Terminator 3, which James Cameron has agreed to film. Have you heard that? No. He said, oh, I'm going to come back and make a new Terminator film. And they said, oh, wow, you're going to make number five or six or whatever. And he says, no, I'm making Terminator 3 now. And it's going to make everything other than his other two films no longer canon. That's crazy. Yeah, because I mean, after... So, I mean, one and two, especially two, the the idea behind that, you know, was that you, you you could prevent change the future by you know you could change the events but then three introduced the idea of the outcome couldn't be changed sorry have yeah. that made sense yeah so so this whole idea of you know the, um you know the, what was it had a, had a sarah satan number two fate for ourselves something like that we, ma- we make fate for ourselves and then number three is like well yeah it doesn't matter what we what we do the the outcome is going to be the same you're going to have sky in it taking over etc and i was like oh god that's so stupid i mean that just kind of kills the first two movies well yeah for me it very much was just oh we haven't got any new ideas so we're just gonna (laughs) 
just going to run with it and see what happens and try and make as much money as we can because we have to use this hot property in some way. Like all of those films, the originals are so good, just like the old Star Wars films, just like the, like the Alien vs. Predator series. They, they know they're not good films, but they know that they're making money off them, so they don't care because the brand is so strong. Yeah. You can continue to release anything as long as it's got a bit of a look just because, like, the studios know that they're not spending any money on the Alien versus Predator films. They know that they haven't got a, a real director or a real writer who could arguably win Academy Awards or whatever they whatever measure they want to use. Obviously, I think awards are retarded, but just a mess. But that kind of thing. They're very greedy. I mean, he in his book he talks about how studios many times have the opportunity to make a sequel with the original director and like if the original was was a success and they acknowledge that the guy's you know obviously got talent if it's going to save them money they'll get someone cheaper like if if they can do the marketing and sort of work out yeah this thing's actually going to turn a profit then they would rather do that than actually you know to to guarantee the, the the money than actually bringing someone in who you know is more likely to actually do the franchise justice in terms of the story and all of that it's it's it's, it's all about the dollars <coughs> which is especially back then i would have thought now it would have changed a little bit depending on the subject matter where they they know there's now the the concept of people re-watching stuff which wasn't really around as much back in the day like labyrinth the jim henson film with david bowie for example they poured their hearts and souls into those that film and it was a complete flop in the theater, but it's now one of the highest selling home videos of all time. Bad marketing. And it, well, not, yeah, they didn't market it properly, but I don't think they market it, the studios marketed it at all. So apparently, but, Total Recall was going to be a flop, a major flop, because the marketing company uh, was a disaster. Uh, and the marketing company was completely ineffective because they were being. Um, being acquired by Sony, so uh, Arnie talks about how you know he had a, I think he had a personal relationship with the the two guys or something like that that um, within Sony I think it might have been. Anyways, he sort mm. of convinced them. Look, the whole strategy, marketing strategy for this movie is wrong. It's going to be released in about three or four weeks. We basically got to smash this and turn it around so that the movie's a success. And uh, they yep. listened to him and they did it, and Total Recall became you know a huge huge success it's a crazy movie love that movie <clears throat> yeah you you would think it's funny because um true lies was on tv the other night and i watched probably the middle section of it just i was on the couch dozing on and out and i just left it on that channel on free to air tv and there were ads every three i feel like there were ads every three minutes it was ridiculous i hated it but you had it true lies no the ads what ads I was watching it on free-to-air television. Oh, sorry. I missed that bit. It just came yeah. on TV and I was just half asleep and so it just kept on going. And there, were, there seemed to be ads every time I looked up. Another yeah. ad break was starting. And I'm like, what is going I think because like free-to-air television is dying, they have to put more and more ads on, which obviously is going to turn people away more mm. and more. Yeah, it just crazy. seems so short-sighted. Maybe they're resigned to it dying anyway. But... Even though that film is a is a remake of a French film, which I haven't seen, it's still Arnold and the the delivery of it and all that is so charismatic and so well done. Both of the Arnolds, Tom Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger, are so good in that, and it's so well directed that I don't even care that it's a remake. I'm just like, cool, this movie, I love this movie, and there's so many good bits in it, and I usually don't even like Jamie Lee Curtis that much, but. Well, she was in awesome, that film, it? everything works. You know, yeah, but, but Cameron Cameron directed it. <clears throat> but I don't like everything he does. I love Term the Terminator films, but I can't stand Titanic. Yeah. Maybe that's the actors. I don't know. It's well made though. Oh, like I, I think professionally, like, technically, it's really well made. There are certainly it meets a certain criteria. I guess I just mean uh, aesthetically. I, I really like a lot of the aesthetic of Terminator 2, you know, and even quite a lot, even though probably 
Aliens isn't my favorite of that series. I still love a lot of the aesthetic of it. The whole thing of jumping forward in time and the way they address that as a sequel, I find that quite inventive and quite cool. But I guess I just haven't seen that many James Cameron. I guess James Cameron hasn't even made that many movies, has he? He hasn't. He hasn't. I was trying to go through that which ones I like and don't. There aren't that many. <laughs> like I do love the first two the first two Terminator films. Yeah. So before Terminator, he'd made what was the name of the movie? Some other really low budget film, but apparently it was a very good movie. And I think that's what impressed the studio who signed I think it was Carol Co. that signed him to do Terminator. Mm. And um, the reason they signed him was because they were impressed, so impressed with the way that he was able to make a really good movie with a really low budget. So mm. James Cameron had this sort of reputation for technically being a really good director and sort of understood how to how to make things work on on you know on with a very constrained uh, budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Arnie said that when he met him, and you know, as he got to know him, he could see that this guy absolutely knew what he was what he was doing. So he you know, he fully trusted him. And then he Can imagine, him. yeah. And he was apparently just a difficult guy. He's probably because he's very obsessed with his work and wants things James, done. His James way. Cameron. Yeah, he apparently just fucking goes mental at people. Of course, yeah. yeah I think he's um, he's notorious for being difficult. Mm. Yeah. But I think. It's funny, there seem to be two types of successful directors. There's no middle ground. You're either one of the ones that everyone hates, like a real dictator, or you're a real cult leader, like Tarantino's a real cult leader on set. Same with Rodriguez. Like they garner everyone and they have them all together and they become a family and he's the leader. Mm. Or if you're not that kind of charismatic person, you become a dictator. Either way, you just do whatever it takes to get the film made. Yeah. Which is... um. The, it's interesting to watch. The other um, interesting thing, I guess, is I never really looked at Arnie as as a serious actor <coughs> hmm. until sort of listening to this book because it sort of gave me some insight into how seriously he was actually taking his his acting career and and becoming a serious actor. And um, sort of an example of that was that he he deliberately avoided in as much contact as possible with Sarah Connor and, um, you know, Sir Peter Hamilton and Michael Biehn. Yeah. He, he didn't want to, you know, sort of be attached to them in any way, given that, you know, his role in the in, in the movie was to basically kill him. Mm. So, and if you watch Terminator, I mean, you, and you, 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 I sort of think back to his acting in that, um, knowing mm. that now, and it's awesome. It's amazing. He's like, he's just dead cold. I think... His acting in those good films, like the films that we love, even up until Junior, when he's really pouring his heart and soul into it and he's not just showing up on a low budget like the, some of the later ones he's done recently, those ones in the 80s when he was putting as much time and effort into it as he used to put into bodybuilding, he did some really, really good performances. Even though you, at some points you can see they're working around things and he's not obviously the most naturally talented actor, but he's he never ruined any of those films and he added something to them that I don't think many people ever have since before or since he's had a real gravity to his actions and obviously his physicality and his look it's so hard to do what he does and you can see that when you need a great actor like Robert Patrick to do it again and then you see in Terminator 3 that woman couldn't do it at all she just looked like a person pretending to be a robot. And you're like, oh, wait, it's really hard to be a robot. And everyone always said, I remember in the interviews, they would say, oh, yeah, it's really hard for Arnold to play a robot. That's what he's like in real life. Not realizing, I think, for them, that he's one of the most charismatic, likable, fr- friendly, laughing, joking people of all time. And it was the opposite of his personality. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't walk around going, yes, no. He's like, you know, just laughing and joking and... He's a you clown. Know. He likes to clown around. That's, exactly. Uh, he says yeah. outrageous things to, to people he doesn't know. <laughs> which got but I, re- I remember seeing trouble. this story one time where he was in a, a truck stop somewhere when he was riding around with his family through the 
outback US somewhere and um, through the countryside and he was in this place like a truck stop getting a lunch and these two bikers two big tough looking guys saw him and noticed him and came up to him and they had a bit of a mean look on their face and this story was being told from one of his assistants point of view and the assistant was watching this because these guys obviously were going up to him to kind of test him this was back in the day a bit when he was a bit younger kind of they thought they were tough guys they thought he was going to be a tough guy and by the time the assistant got up to the table, Arnold had them laughing and joking and they were sitting down and, you know, he, they were just wrapped around his little finger. He just knew how to talk to people, mm. do everything. He was just a real, yeah, really intelligent, really charismatic guy. I think a skill that he definitely improved over time though because he, I think he got himself into a bit of trouble. Um, he talks a, f- a fair bit about his relationship with Dino De Laurentiis. Mm. strikes me as just this yeah just very ruthless uh you know studio what he's a studio owner or a manager or studio director or something like that uh i think very the de laurentis's were probably uh, they were rich before movies came along and they for their own egos got involved with movies i think their money came from elsewhere i have no i have no evidence to back that up I'm just running on a hunch there. So um, if anyone listening, if any of our seven listeners uh, want to do some research and let us know at, uh, what's the what's the email address, Joe? Is it um, beastmonkeypodcast at gmail.com? It's uh, blinds online. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's C- CLR clear penis cleaner at yahoo.com.au. So this guy, this guy died in 2010. Yeah, Dino De Laurentiis. He died of ninety-one years old. He died of ninety-one at ninety-one years old. At, well, at ninety-one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it? What? Wait, can I ask? Did he die from fucking? <laughs> Sorry, that's just one of my old jokes that people die from that. Um, what? Not, what did he die from? Uh, old age, man. I mean, ninety-one. Jesus, that's that's old as shit. I like to imagine. I like to imagine that he was. Uh, cruising along an LA freeway at about three in the morning listening to an old Smashing Pumpkins record had a little bit of a buzz he was thinking about the next film he was going to produce and then his heart just stopped and he drove off a cliff and his car exploded halfway down he died at his residence so it wasn't quite that dramatic in Beverly Hills at the age of 91 at the age of 91 He's been producing movies or produced movies since 1946. Wow. What was the first film he he produced? Black Eagle. Uh, The classic Black Eagle. La Strada is a pretty famous movie. Just trying to see if there's anything else here that... Hunchback of Rome? No, that's not really. (laughs) He He produced The Hunchback of London. And the Hunchback of Portugal. <laughs> oh, he did Serpico. That was um. Oh yeah. That was a pretty big movie. Was that Pacino's first film? No, it wasn't his first film. No, no, no. It was later. That was King. probably his his first transition from. From like s- smooth Pacino to croaky Pacino, possibly. Mm. You know, when he was younger, he. He's like my father would, would would contact his people, and then later he's like, ah, oh, ah. that's all you'd hear. Conan, Conan the Barbarian in nineteen eighty two. Mm-hmm. Conan the Destroyer. Arnie wasn't keen on doing that. He only did it because he um he sort of committed to to, to Dino. And it was only yeah. supposed to be a cameo or something like that, but then it turns out that Dino. Had different intentions. He uh, actually wanted him to play a, a more prominent role, and uh, you know, then that's when Arnie sort of realised this guy, you know, just basically lied to me. There's a sn- snake in the grass. Now, Red Sonia. Sorry, that was the one. That was that was Conan too, though, wasn't it? Yeah. No. No. That was like thir- a third one. So it's a different character, but Arnold was supposed to make a cameo in that, and it turns out it was he spent weeks filming the thing because he he had so many scenes. Oh so, wow. Yeah. 
Hollywood, the Hollywood liars. Um, I got a got an email today from ABC Television, um, letting me know that they were passing on the ostentatious documentary that me and Raf made. Are you serious? For their, yeah, for their ABC comedy, they decided they didn't want to put it on iView or up or sometime late at night on ABC comedy. Bit disappointing, but obviously. It just wasn't their thing, a bit slow, or they didn't like Austin. But I was like, okay, I entered it in the uh, Melbourne International Comedy, no, Melbourne International Film Festival in the Australian short documentary section today, which was closing tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Find out in a month or two. So did you get the impression that they actually took the time to write directly to you or was this just oh yeah no no they were like apologies for taking so long to get back to you we have a massive we have a lot of stuff get submitted and we we took it took like they could have just said no two two or three months ago when i sent it in or it might have even been late last year oh i think it was probably two maybe i sent it to sbs first um and they said hey get in touch with abc comedy we like it but it's not really doesn't suit what we're acquiring right now. Why don't you put it on YouTube? Well, I will, but I was hoping I would have preferred to get it like ABC Comedy. If it was on their iView section, that would have been nice. Yeah, but what's the logic behind that then? YouTube has a much bigger audience. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, (laughs) the way more people... um, log in every day to look at ABC iView or turn on ABC comedy than um then would look at my YouTube page. <laughs> you know. I think the plan is I'm gonna send it to a few more festivals and if no one bites I'm just gonna put it up on YouTube and send Austin the link. I mean it's on Vimeo already but it's a hidden link. I'm gonna uh, make it public, send Austin the link and tell him to tweet it and put it on his Facebook and I'll do the same to my 70 or so followers and we can put it on the Beast Monkey website if you want as a link. Yeah, man. That'd be cool. All right, look. And I, I'll tell I, Raph to post it. Good content in YouTube spreads pretty quickly. And and I would actually argue that uh, in, in probably the medium to longer term, you're going to have more people, uh, more viewers uh, in YouTube than something like iView. Uh, did you end up watching Kung Fury? Uh, I still haven't watched more of it. I think I watched five, five or six minutes of it. I just haven't, haven't watched anything since I spoke to you last. Actually, pretty much Watch went it. to work, came home and slept. Yeah, yeah. It's unreal. <clears throat> My favorite part was when he was falling out of the building and he shot his car and the doors opened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. quite. That was pretty funny. I liked that logic. Um, yeah, it's funny, um, as you mentioned before, I did sign back up to Netflix. It's been three or four months since I was on there because um, I had a hankering to watch the rest of the new Star Trek series, even though I don't even like it that much. I just felt like watching it. bit of comfort food while I'm sick and uh, maybe a few other things. That thing you recommended, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of Bollywood films on Netflix. Mm. Because obviously there's a huge Indian population in Australia, as we were joking about before. And because there's not a lot of Indian content on free-to-air television, obviously they would gravitate to Netflix. So it makes sense to cater for that from a business point of view when you've got half a million people in Australia wanting that content. I've often wondered, so take Asian films. Hmm how profitable they are in Asia given uh, I guess the general acceptance of piracy well that's an interesting concept isn't it because I feel like the different countries have different attitudes towards going to the cinema one thing that's become my theory about Bollywood films is they don't they obviously do have genre pieces overall but a lot of the big blockbusters they have comedy, dancing, music, action, romance, slapstick in the one film that goes for three hours and the whole family go to all those films. You know, they're not trying to appeal to one audience. They appeal to everyone and the whole family goes as a family outing and the cinema's full, people are talking, kids are running through the aisles. 
it's a very different experience to hear where people go and sit there and be quiet and you go to see a film that you want to see. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think films have a very different place in their culture and going to see the film in the theatres, I expect over in India it's probably cheaper to go. And while there would be a lot of piracy, because there's a lot of Indian film piracy even here, you go to any Indian grocery store and there's mm. thir- 30 or 40 pirated discs of the latest ones. That's what I mean. Or, or at you know, Chinese grocery store, same thing. Well, I think the majority of their money is made from the big screen. I think it's the opposite of here where they make a lot more money on the... I guess streaming has changed it all, but they used to make a lot of money on the DVD sales. Probably not more money, but I think going to the cinema is still big there. So the the whole streaming thing is interesting. I was reading yesterday that Netflix has 125 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, in, Austra- in Australia? No, worldwide. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. And um, no, it could be Australia. It could be, could, I don't know, maybe McGregor. 125 million out of 20 million. So that, that's a pretty big revenue stream. But that, um, yeah. and now they've obviously got enough money to, to be able to fund these massive productions. And uh, the person who wrote this article, I think it was on The Guardian. Um, movies that are that are quite good well polished but they're going straight to netflix instead of the big screen where they deserve to be because they're that good hmm. and i thought yeah that, that's uh, that's kind of interesting there, there's going to be content you know that's um you know would be good to watch in the cinema but you won't be able to because it's obviously being produced by a company that provides all their content through through streams <coughs> like well, i think obviously the the home cinema market changes all that obviously like people having a big screen tv or a projector makes it less desirable to go to the cinema obviously especially when it's only 13 or 14 dollars a month as opposed to 20 dollars for a ticket yeah nothing tops the cinema though unless you're you know a multi multi multi-millionaire who's got like a full-blown home theater at home but which i don't know anyone who has that well, no, I don't mean a full-blown theatre. I mean, if you're a family on a budget and tickets are $15 each and you've got three kids, it's like 70 bucks to go out with snacks and all that. Or you pay $14 a month and you've got a 55-inch t- no-name TV you bought from Aldi, $500. Oh, the financial argument's very compelling, yes. but uh, Yeah, that's what I mean. People are like, well, we just bought this TV and we can watch, the kids can watch their movie at six, their cartoon. We'll... M- we'll watch two more movies and then go to bed or binge watch this TV show. It, I, I wonder if they're going to start doing binge screenings of TV shows in cinemas. That would be hilarious. <laughs> like the first season of Breaking Bad in a, like a 9 at 9 p.m. till 4 a.m. type thing. Maybe screened for a full month. Like well, the, just the, the, the first season. At, at Dendi. Just play just continuously. <laughs> I don't mean every episode. I just mean a season at a time. No, I mean every episode. Every episode in a row. Starring they have Oscar Isaac. As, as the cinema. They could <laughs> replace all of the seats with toilets so people don't have to leave. <laughs> and um, replace all of the actors with Oscar Isaac. Uh, let's talk quickly. We uh, Last time I was over at your house, I wasn't, up, wasn't feeling well enough. To, to record a podcast, but we did watch a film. Um, Annihilation. St- starring that uh, guy, Anil Lachon. I mean, Annihilation. Annihilation. That's a terrible joke, isn't it? Um, Annihilation, directed by... I've forgotten his name again. How have the I done that? The guy who did uh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, Alex Garland. Alex Garland and starring Jennifer Jason Lee as the old lady scientist, uh, Natalie Portman as, and let me just say right now, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to watch Annihilation, uh, don't really, don't worry about spoiler alert because it doesn't really matter what happens. Um, I think you'll get just as much enjoyment watching it. 
with or without anything we're going to say here, but I will say that just for anyone who doesn't want it spoiled. Natalie Portman plays the um, the autistic woman, I think, and Oscar Isaac plays the crocodile. Is that correct? <laughs> I've had a bit of time to think about the movie since we watched it. What did you think of it? What was your review? I look. I wasn't paying enough attention to it because you know I was sort of moving around, you know, doing some stuff in the kitchen while sort of watching mm. it. And it wasn't really. And that you fell asleep a bit towards the end, I think. I think so. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. really that that captivating. Um, Natalie Portman's pretty underwhelming. I mean, Oscar Isaac's awesome. Uh, what's the other Jennifer? Whatever her name. Jennifer is. Jason Lee. That character was just pointless could have just removed that character from the movie and it wouldn't have made a difference other than probably make it less bad um yeah and and yeah i don't know just yeah i i had this feeling i thought about it i thought about the film over the last couple of days and i thought why didn't why wasn't i into it and i started at the beginning and i thought well one it kind of felt like a cutscene before a choose your own adventure video game from the 90s in like a phantasmagoria type game. The special effects, you know, the sunlight coming through the windows and all that stuff had this real computer game feel about it. Mm. Special effects weren't great. But the logic of it, there's this, um, obviously some alien presence is on the planet and it's taking over the planet. They're like, this thing's going to destroy the planet. Quick, let's send in four, three young models and an aging model and just let anyone who feels like it join the mission (laughs) to save the planet. And it's like, wait, who's authorizing this? What's going on? This thing's going to destroy Earth. And you're just sending in four random young women. What? Like, I I don't understand... (laughs) Yeah, not very believable. It's just it's a stupid. Story. It, it it completely like Tarantino talks about the umbilical cord of the between the filmmaker and the audience being. He goes, "You can stretch it, but if you break it, you've lost them." And I think they did themselves a big favor by bringing in someone as charismatic as Oscar Isaac to play um, the dead husband and the crocodile and the the giant bear rat creature towards the end. But they just never answered anything. They never explained anything. And in the end, yeah, you're right. It wasn't believable. You didn't care what happened. It kind of looked worse as it got on. Like she was on a beach and there was just all this shiny shit everywhere. And it didn't even look remotely realistic anymore. And the, I mean, the whole thing started with the, the, you know, the asteroid that hit Earth. Mm. It just seems a bit. Okay, an asteroid hits Earth and then all of this sort of develops. It's like, well, it's it's a bit, it's a bit crap. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I feel like they they got in touch with the Alex Garland was that his name, mm. the director. After Code Forty Six was such a hit, they were like, "Quick, make us a movie, make us a movie." And he grabbed a novel written by someone, adapted it quickly, made it quickly. I think. I don't think a lot of thought went into it. I think they made it on a shoestring very quickly just to get something out there. I I was quite surprised that Adam Buxton podcast that I tell you I listened to, he said he watched it and he quite enjoyed it. And I was just thinking the whole time, I'm like, I think that was what got me thinking about it again. I was like, what do you mean you enjoyed it? What about that? You look at, you look at all these previous movies and most of them are fantastic. Um, the Beach. I actually enjoyed that movie. Uh, the book's obviously better, but I quite. Well, he wrote it. the book, didn't he? No. Yeah, I think Alex Garland wrote The Beach as no. the book. Look it up. No, I, don't think I reckon did he did. I was pretty sure that The Beach was written by some cokehead. Uh, Maybe. Story by Alex Garland, yeah, but the... Oh, no. Directed by Danny Boyle. Yeah. Based on the novel by Alex Garland. Okay, there you go. Yeah, he he started out as a novelist. 
Okay, and then well, he became he... a scriptwriter, and then he became a director. Code Forty Six, I think, was his first directorial feature. So Halo, The Beach, Twenty Eight Days Later, The Tesseract, Sunshine, which was awesome, Never Let Me Go, Dread, which was unreal, um, mm. Ex Machina, I thought was brilliant, and then he got Annihilation. So, I've got a I've got a feeling that he has also probably script edited and affixed about 50 other films that he doesn't get a credit on. I just have a feeling he's that kind of guy who they send movies to, to fix. Yeah, probably. You know, like Joss Whedon did that. He fixed about 100 movies that his name isn't on, where they would send in the script and he would work on it for two months for like $100,000 and make make a mint, not get his name on it, and then the movie would get made and come out. Or even during production, they would say, like, half this film's garbage, fix these scenes we haven't shot yet. Or we need to reshoot this. Fix these two scenes. You've got a week. He seems like that kind of guy. Obviously, I've got nothing to back that up, but that's just a hunch. No, no. In fact, no. That that actually gets spoken about in in Total Recall, Arnie's book. Um, yeah. There's you know there's people in Hollywood that have that's their job. They they get called, mm. um, you know, by studios to sort of when they panic about a movie because it hasn't you know sort of turned out the way they wanted to and it has to be released and they call these people in to sort of chop them up and edit them or yeah. you know, redo special effects or whatever and yeah that's when you know directors get fired and they bring someone else in last minute yeah I heard they did that with the second most recent Star Wars film did you see that Rogue One Rogue One yep yeah that's what they did with that they had um, everyone was wondering why there were a lot of scenes in the original trailer that didn't end up in the original in the final cut of the film apparently close to half that film was cut and reshot because they hated the producers were like we can't sell this this has got too many problems and they went back and did about two or two months of reshoots or something like that and the the studio was saying oh there's a few minor changes and the guy from who's the australian guy ben mendelson came out and said um this is a significantly different film now from the one that we finished Apparently, it probably didn't have all of the action and all of the unrealistic absurdity towards the end. I don't know. I can't imagine whether it was better or worse. I couldn't. I found that film pretty hard to watch. But you know what I found the worst about it without complaining too much? They marketed it as a side movie that had nothing to do with the original films. They're like, this is a standalone film. And it was the most connected prequel they'd ever made. Like it directly joined into the original Star Wars film. Like it it finished on the ship that the first Star Wars film starts on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the most prequel film that's ever been made. And they said it wasn't a prequel. It was a standalone film. And that I found quite bizarre. I don't know why they would do that. Have you seen the trailer for the new Han Solo film? No. No, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to avoid watching the trailer because I'll probably just end up going watching that at the movies. And these days, you know, it's like with trailers, they, just, they tell you 80% of the movie. Unless they reshoot half of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go watch that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll probably check it out. I'll probably hate it. What other good sci-fi is coming out this year? I feel like there's a stack of sci-fi coming out this year. I can't think of any of it. My brain is not working. I have to apologize if I've been rambling a little bit. I just do not feel good. So what else can we expect this year? Um, let's have a look. There's, um, I think there's a feature film version of Fraggle Rock 3030 is coming out. Prospect? Oh, no, that's... Uh in March. Nope, not that one. Nope. Ready Player One. Oh, I think we spoke about that previously, which I didn't really like. Did we talk about that on the podcast or did we just talk about that in general? I think we just talked about I it in general. We might have mentioned that at the last podcast. It, it, you know, it was just a, a little bit disappointing. Um, so it looks like Solo is probably going to be the next biggest one that comes out. Replicas looks really good. So that's with um, uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. Uh, that looks really cool. Um, the, 
The Predator. Is that, <laughs> is that a remake? August 2018. Actually, no, September 2018. According to popularmechanics.com, uh, looks very promising. So, Did you see Black Panther? No, no. But check this out, dude. It says, nestled between Predator 2 and Predators, this film stars Boyd Holbrook and Olivia Munn as a marine and a scientist on a mission to convince the world that the alien hunters known as Predators exist. Right, so the fact that they've put Olivia Munn in this, again, they've, they've put a model, which just yeah. Im- immediately makes it less believable. <coughs> yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising is coming out this year. The original was unreal. I loved that. I think this new one has Clint Eastwood's kid in it. Clint Eastwood's kid? Yeah. Have you heard of... He was in the latest... Um, um, Faster and Furious. Uh, uh. Yeah. Who's Look that? him up. S- Scott Eastwood. Scott Check Eastwood. him out. He looks like a... Imagine you took his dad and took away the X Factor. It made him amazing. I think you look more like Clint Eastwood's son than Scott Eastwood does. Have you seen him yet? Yeah, I'm looking at him. <laughs> I I think I feel more like Clint Eastwood than Scott Eastwood does. I think Scott Eastwood grew up a pretty rich kid. Um, I don't know. Rampage, that new rock film. The new X-Men? Is, I, Avengers. That. Avengers or X-Men? Uh, X-Men, Dark Phoenix. So the chick out of Game of Thrones plays the Phoenix, a young Phoenix, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, what's this? No, There's a new Jurassic Park. There's a new Jurassic Park. There's a new Ant-Man. There's one called Captive State, starring John Goodman. Ooh. There's a new Jason Statham one. This looks interesting. Venom. So Venom, the oh yeah, supposed starring, to be like the, um, the sort of arch rival of Spider-Man, but yeah, it's got um Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy in it. I'm a big Tom Hardy fan. I reckon he's a fantastic mm. actor. I was about to say it's got your boy, f- your boy f- in it. He's um, oh, he's Battle awesome. Angel Alita is meant to be coming out in Battle at Christmas. Angel. Battle Angel, what's that? Rod- Battle Angel Alita. Haven't you heard of it? The yeah. it's an anime, but this one is a live action one done by Rodriguez. James Cameron was going to make it for years and then he pulled out and Rodriguez has done it. Look up the um, anime. Is it is amazing. It's one of the coolest films ever. And the fact that Rodriguez is doing it is pretty cool. Well, yeah, looks like there's going to be some good reviews coming out. Yeah, quite a lot of... I think there might be some good um, international sci-fi coming out too from Europe. We don't really hear about European films unless you go looking for them, though it's hard. Yeah, yeah, true. True, and I'm sure there's like heaps of them out there that, that are just that, like pretty awesome. Yeah. I remember that one time I went looking, just one time, had a bit of a look and ordered six on Amazon. Six random sci-fi films. One of them was very similar to Sunshine. One of them was a, a Scottish one about some crazy alien. Um, Transformers 6. Is that Bumblebee? Bumblebee, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny, the Bumblebee, is it, a, it, is it different to the other Transformers films? Because in all of those other films, he wasn't a beetle. No, he but was now a he, Camaro, but now he's a beetle again. Yeah. Which he should have been the whole time. I feel like if they'd actually made those films properly, they would have been so good. Like if they'd based them on the real cartoons. Kind of like X-Men. Yes. Oh, God. How good would they be if they were just the same as the cartoons? Just, you could turn, like, take the cartoon series, which I think they did about what, maybe, I think four or five seasons of that. 
And you could make a shitload of movies just from that alone. You wouldn't have to change anything like in terms of the story. The story's oh, perfect. Be, it'd be amazing. Turn every three or four episodes into a film. Update a few bits that don't make sense or aren't quite as yeah. good. Refine it, improve it. But, but you know what the problem there is? Well, they would well, have to pay the people who wrote those scripts for the um, for the TV show. That's why they change the look of everything. They change the design. They change as many names as they can. Because then they don't have to pay anybody. They just buy the name of the project. And that's it. And do everything brand new and pretend it's an artistic vision. But it's just a way to make more money. I was actually thinking about this. If I was, you know... A billionaire. Or when I'm a billionaire. How much money were you going to give me if you become a billionaire? Well, as much money as you need to produce movies. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to produce movies. I'm like go that, around the world I, buying buying all the movies, movie that's rights. That's what I want to hear. That's what taking, I want to hear. Jeff. Taking it away from the clowns uh, that, you know, buy these things and actually then do it properly. Mm. Then, then hire Dennis Villeneuve to basically just redo all these movies give him a lifetime contract <laughs> yeah Hi, hire him like a like a manservant Dennis just be Villeneuve like, and James Cameron and Michael Mann just all of your favourite directors and I wonder how much money that would actually take to do John Senna is in Bumblebee <laughs> Is he? What's he playing? Is he playing Bumblebee? <laughs> Hopefully, they don't give him any. <laughs> he's been. He's in a new. He's in a new comedy as well. He's in a new um, comedy film about kids wanting to lose their virginity and the parents trying to stop them. <laughs> John Cena. And he's playing one of the kids. What do you got up coming up for the next week? Uh, so. Yeah, just family stuff this weekend. A bit of bike riding. Um, that's that's about it, really. I, I've got a. I don't have any racing this weekend. I got a race next weekend. So what's that? The last week of April. So it's a three-hour mm. race. I'll be doing out at Tumut. I've never done that one before, but from what I'm told, it's pretty fun because there's not that much climbing. So it's just a sort of short and quick, quick race. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, just chilling out, man. Chilling out. It's good. Good to relax. Yeah. Um, no, especially when, you, when work gets a little bit crazy, then you know, it makes me appreciate the time away from the office and just being at home with with the family and the doggies. Mm. Taking them out for walks nearly every day, and that's been fun. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. They love it so much. It's crazy how much they love a walk. I'm meant to be going up to um, visit fred and kathy in sydney this weekend but if i'm feeling the way i'm feeling now i'm probably not going to go you really need to rest man like seriously yeah. just like rest properly like sleep hydrate antioxidants take whatever drugs the doctor gives you so you can get over this damn thing i know it's, it, it is ridiculous isn't it i don't think i did myself any favors last weekend i probably no. should have just stayed home Yep. Rest of, up. I mean, it's not like I did too much, but yeah, I did more than nothing. So, rest up, man. Yes, Which, uh, yeah. looking at the time, I think I need to do the same as well because I've got an early day uh, mm. tomorrow. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, the first, um, first remotely recorded uh, Beast Monkey podcast. Very keen to see how it all turns out. Hopefully, hopefully, it it's, um, it turns out the way that we want it to. I imagine it'll turn out perfectly, but we'll see. Cool. I'm going to go through You can just go through and edit out and change all the things I've said. Well, that's going to be the, the cool part now. It's just laying it all out. And... Yeah. Seeing how Sweet. it works. Cool. Cool. All right. Have all a good right, one, man. man. You Talk too. to you later. Peace out. Bye.
Monkey Podcast.